The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to The Makers of Minnesota. We are at episode number 58. If you've been listening to these episodes and you enjoy them, please share on your social media accounts. It's still very early in the podcast infancy, and people are just figuring out how to podcast and what kind of shows are available to them. So we really appreciate it when you help spread the word. Um, Makers of Minnesota, in a nutshell, is a podcast about people in Minnesota that are making and doing cool things. And we talked to them about what they're doing and how they conceived of their ideas. And today we are talking to noodlers. Now, if you're wondering what a noodler is, we are with Dumpling and Strand Noodlers. Uh, noodler Jeff and Noodler Kelly. Jeff, uh, is it Casper? It's Casper. Casper yes, yes. and Kelly McManus. And you guys started out as neighbors, it sounds like, mm-hmm. which is kind of a funny way to start a business. It is. How did you, you just, you lived across the street or? Yeah. So our families lived in South Minneapolis. Jeff and his wife, Michelle, lived right across the street from my husband and I, Mike. And we've watched our kids grow up together. And so part of that is being in community. Um, We shared a lot of dinners together and a lot of cocktails. And those cocktails were really kind of the, you know, the starting point of of figuring out that Jeff and I both are idea people where we love strategy. Yep. We love product development. And so a lot of those nights were filled with ideas about different products to develop. And so that really was kind of the start of um, what, what eventually became Dumpling and Strand. Did you always know that you wanted to have a food company or could it have been puzzles or widgets? <laughs> no, no, it, it was always going to be food. Yeah. Um, mainly because I, I've been working with food and in the food business, so to speak, if you want to call it the business, for about 20 years. So, you know, it's it's been a journey for me um, from my childhood. You know, I, I started out being interested in food and then went into food purposefully. Are you a food scientist? I am. Actually, yes, I am. I'm, by, by training, I am. Okay. And so, I yeah, I have, I have a bachelor's degree in food science and then I have a master's in food so what kind of things were you working on when you and Kelly were neighbors and having cocktails just in your day-to-day living? Yeah, so day-to-day, I, I was working in grain-based foods okay. the, the whole time. So I um, throughout my career, I've, uh, I've worked in dough products, you know, frozen dough, refrigerated dough products, um, worked on uh, actually developing new cereal grain ingredients as well um, in one of my roles. And I also did some basic research in cereal grains. Wasn't that a guy in like the, wasn't that the guy in Parenthood? Wasn't that his job? Steve oh, Martin? right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. the making the new cereal shellac or <laughs> well, something yeah, that like was, that. That was, uh, that was Chevy Chase. I there believe. you go. Yes. yes. In, in, in uh, a vacation, vacation. Christmas right. vacation. Yeah. The most famous uh, food scientist, celebrity food scientist. Ever. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's good. I'm glad that I remembered that. So <laughs> in your um, evolution as a grain scientist over the last 20 years, I imagine it's been pretty interesting because grains have changed so much 
And we've seen the rise of um, people getting more out of their grains, maybe modifying the grains for growing, people having more gluten intolerances, and whether or not that has changed or whether we've just better diagnosed. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, uh, you know, we've seen this this uh, this shift, and it's actually been kind of a, I'd call it more of a roller coaster ride, really. I mean, there's... You know, we've we've uh, seen a lot a lot of people become much more aware of uh, food intolerances, and with that awareness too, and just the popularization. You know, there's been a kind of a public demonization of grains in general, I yep. would say. And but you know, with that has come some good things too, which has exposed people to a lot of ancient grains and you know the types of grains that we typically have avoided because we have become kind of a monocrop kind of, of food system. Things you know, like amaranth and millet. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been corn, wheat, rice, you know, mm-hmm. kind of world. You know, the global the, the global food system has moved into those three major crops. And, and so now we're seeing these, like, these interesting grains coming through, you know, coming into the marketplace. And one of the things that is brought, that's brought is diversification of our diet. You know, so we're getting a lot of different minerals. We're getting a lot of different uh, nutrients coming in through those new, new you know, ingredients in our diet. So... What is fascinating to me about what you guys do is as we've watched sort of ancient grains become more prevalent, the gluten-free movement become something that people are asking for in restaurants and certainly one in their home cooking, is that you jumped right into the noodle business at a time (laughs) which people weren't really necessarily eating as many noodles. It didn't seem like in the pop culture sphere anyway. Right. And you started making a fresh noodle product, not only with some wheat and um, providing egg noodles and some of the traditional noodles, but you've got a wild rice noodle, you've got a gluten-free buckwheat noodle. What made you decide after all of those cocktails that this was the space you wanted to be in? I mean, I think for us, it was looking at a category, the fresh noodle category, expanding in the grocery stores. So we, you know, with Jeff's experience and my background in brand development um, and design, we wanted to kind of mesh those two together, look at what the marketplace had, where there were holes, and and really fill in the gaps. And so the refrigerated section is growing exponentially in grocery stores. And Jeff has a long history of, um, you know, grain-based foods and also pasta yeah, uh, and noodles. And so we started looking at that and saying, how could we make this different? And one of the big things that we focus on are these curious grains. So we'll introduce you to the world of noodles, whether it's Asian or Italian, and we'll say, here's the traditional, you know, we can do that. We can do it really well. Um, and then while you're there, Come and take a look at these other things that we have to offer. So like our toasted farro, uh, uh, cavatappi, you know, it's a really interesting way to introduce farro, which is one of the ancient grains that we yep. use emmer uh, and we toast it before it uh, is milled. Do you actually make this pasta yourselves like with like an extruder or however you make pasta? Yes. Yeah, we we do it all ourselves. So you go into a production kitchen mm-hmm. and how do you do it? Do you mix it in a bowl and mm-hmm. put it through yeah. a pasta maker? And That's right. Yep. It's Absolutely. very um, rustic and yet refined. It's a really unique product. Um, it's beautiful. And some of them, like it literally looks like your grandma just made it. Is that part of the archetype of what you want me to think when I look at your packaging and when I look at the noodle? 
Yeah, when we started um, designing our brand overall, uh, one of the things that came up for us uh, was really around the why. So anybody can make noodles, um, but why were we making noodles? And Jeff and I really are curious people at heart. And so our major tenant is exceptionally curious noodles. And so we had to look at, okay, what does that mean? So we have the world of noodles. And then under that, we layer it with curious grains Curious shapes and curious techniques. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I we talked about the curious grain piece um, and then the curious shapes. Um, you know, we have traditional spaghetti, but we will mix it with um, we'll use that shape in a more unusual formula. So you can find it with sprouted whole wheat instead of a traditional. Right. Or we've got the cavatappi. It's not necessarily unusual. It's just you can't find that in a lot of places. Um we have maffaldine, which is a long, frilly egg noodle or a fettuccine. Um, we have fusillo, things like that. Yeah. Uh, one of our biggest darlings of the whole portfolio is our peachy, which is a regional shape from Tuscany. And it's a thick rope noodle. So it's the same diameter as bucatini, but where bucatini has a hole through the middle, peachy is solid. Oh, okay. So when... We it's fun to watch at farmers markets when people we can tell we're like, oh, you've been to Italy because they will come and look through our portfolio and they'll see the peachy and they'll do their eyes will get huge. They'll do a double take and they'll kind of gasp. <laughs> yeah, because they want that. Thick right. Noodle. And so yeah, it's yeah. Uh, really fun for them to see that someone's doing that. Yeah. Uh, and the look of it, too. I mean, that's, that's part of our whole um, reason for being too is to really, you know, change the way people are looking at pasta. I mean, it's. You talk about the the uh, aisles of green and blue boxes, so to speak, you yep. know, when you go to the grocery store. And, you know, a lot of those, you know, we, we've kind of, I feel like, just as a culture, you know, fallen into a rut around, like, noodles and pasta. And, you know, in terms of what what the variety really can be. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, I think we've also been kind of constrained by our own desire for, you know, this this kind of odd sense of authenticity around what pasta really is. And, you know, for for me, like as a somebody who is of, you know, like basically Anglo-German, you know, heritage, yep. you know, for me to be making a 100% buckwheat noodle, you know, soba noodle, um, it kind of comes across as a little bit odd to people, you know, like like what gives, you know, like, like you know, what kind of background do you have that, you know, that gives me the sense that you're going to give me a buckwheat soba noodle. That's like what I'm getting in Japan. And when you make that noodle, I, I, I see some of these noodles and I think, oh, I don't know what I would do with that. And I'm actually a home cook. So mm-hmm. there must be some education that has to happen for expanding not only the noodle types and the curious grains, but what we do with these on a daily basis, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things when we're at the farmer's market that is really fun to talk to people about is we're 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 changing the way that people we're changing the role of noodles on your plate. So, you know, it's not drowning everything in sauce. It's kind of the old um uh instead of drowning it in sauce, we're saying use fresh ingredients. It's it's not unlike what you would find at a restaurant. Right. So, you know, you can do just pancetta, olive oil, garlic, uh, some chopped up kale, and you toss in the campanelle, uh, our rustic durum campanelle with that, and it is exquisite. It's all it needs. So it's it's those kinds of things. We have recipes on our site. Um, we we 
we can actually talk through recipes with people right at the farmer's market. When you started this business, how much money did you guys put in originally? And how did you, was it sweat equity and someone had, I mean, was that equal, equal, equal 50% everything? I think well, when we started, you know, we had we had a bit of, uh, you know, our, our own investment, friends and family as well. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a, a enormous sum of, of money except for our packaging, which is, you know, fairly unique. I mean, we we actually package our um, fresh noodles in what they call modified atmosphere, which is basically you take out air and you replace it with a, you know, an inert gas so mm-hmm. like nitrogen and a carbon dioxide blend. And that keeps that's why our noodles keep refrigerated for, you know, for several weeks. Your packaging has changed, too, from when you originally started at the farmer's market. Was that so that you could appeal more to grocers? Yes, yeah. It was also to make it so that we could, you know, make make product, you know, more convenient for people, too, because, you know, when you when you buy something at the farmer's market and you take it home, you know, you may not have a plan for it um, right away. Right. And so, you know, there's, uh, you know, the Pasta, if it's like just in a standard package, it'll last for about a week to 10 days. Mm -hmm. So this gives people some time to figure out what they want to do with it. And this is a weird question, but do people freeze it or could you freeze it and then cook it after that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can. And people do. And, you know, it it, it holds up well. I mean, you know, if you if you freeze it, it can soften the texture a little bit. But most people don't even notice. Right. Um, So you started the farmer's market. And was it a family business for both of your families? Did you work the booths and get up at six in the morning? And how many farmers markets can the two of you do? <laughs> yeah, I mean the first. So this is the we're on the end of our second season. Um, we started at Kingfield Farmers Market uh, over in South Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and uh, they, I mean, all of the markets that we've been at, the community has just embraced and been excited about what we're doing. We do have a very theatrical booth, so it does help with that um, instant, you know, curious piece coming in. And is that you're away. doing, Kelly? Because people underestimate, I think, the power of visual. Yeah. Um, when I go to your farmer's market booth or I see you at a trade show, you have the best booth there. <laughs> and it looks really decadent and fun and lively and colorful. Yeah. And it seems so obvious that a lot of this is marketing people, but... Yeah, I mean, where where Jeff has his background in food science, um, my background is in brand design. Um, it's also, I do have some experience in set design in theater. So uh, my world is really around uh, creating an experience. So um, kind of pulling all of those pieces together, I asked my husband, who happens to be a master carpenter, to build my booth for me. Um, and he was totally game until I asked him... Um, for those of you who haven't seen our booth, it is a false front that looks like an old apothecary cabinet with hundreds of little drawers. And they're all fake drawers. And I asked him at the very last moment if he would make a few of those to be real drawers. And I got the husband to wife stink eye moment. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, did you want to have noodles coming out of the we just, couple of... I, you know, our goal, we would really love to have kind of a Rube Goldberg kind of contraption yep. where kids can put in, you know, a little coin and then they out pop something out of a drawer. But Yeah, or, or a, yeah, gumball drops. Right, yeah. And they have so, to find out which one it is. You know, those are dreams. So you are, is the noodle business your day job or your is this your full business do you have other jobs yeah I, well we i do on the side both uh, kelly and i freelance on the side as well so we do 
a little bit of, you know, like I, I do some consulting work on the side for other businesses just, uh, you know, as a, as a means to help, help keep things going until mm-hmm. the business, you mm-hmm. know, ramps up far enough where we can, you know, make it a primary. Are you guys primary paying job. yourselves yet? No, we are not. Is that a, I'm sure it's a goal, but yeah. do you have like, okay, once we get to this amount, then we'll be able to do that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we just came out of was the Minnesota Cup, um, and that whole process over the last six months has been really helpful in just identifying not only what our next five years could look like um, and our plan for that, mm-hmm. um, and just also just identifying what will go into that and how that'll look. I mean, it was a really eye-opening, while we didn't win in our division, um, it was a really eye-opening moment for us to really look at uh, long-term plans. Yeah, like, but we did pretty well for, you know, our first submission. I mean, like Kelly yeah. said, we were the first third-place winner. <laughs> I love that. Yes. yes. The Minnesota Cup is a surprising um, journey for a lot of people, very worthwhile for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. does take money and energy and some ingenuity to get everything that you need to get going, and you have to put a lot of time in. But it sounds like you guys learned some things and that it was a good experience for you, even though you were the first place third winner. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of like a, it's like an MBA compressed into a very small period of time. That's a good way to describe yeah. it. And, you know, the other thing, too, that comes with it is you get a lot of great mentorship. You know, so you can go out and, and interact with people who have done what we're trying to do successfully, you know, and and, and also people who have you know, spent their whole careers in various aspects, you know, like, like logistics or, you know, and have them out part, part of your team to help you guide you. And you're two years out, did you say? Because yeah. that's really not, I think when we opened our business, I don't think we paid ourselves until year three, which some people were like, oh, that it's, it takes most people five years. I was like, oh, I wasn't going to wait five years. But um, do you see yourselves always having a presence at the farmer's market or is the goal to be large scale and to get into refrigerator sections in the grocery yeah, store? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the keys, one of the secrets to our trajectory has been that um, we have spent a lot of time at the farmer's markets where a lot of, you know, our goal is to be regional and then national within five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're very, you know, we're very focused on that. Um what most companies who have that goal m- might skip the whole farmer's market piece, get mm-hmm. really capitalized and just go that route. Um, you know, it's a total, that's one option. What we decided intentionally was that the equity and the, of relationships and also the feedback that we got real time from the farmer's market was way more valuable than than leapfrogging that step. So we will always have a... Uh, presence in the farmer's market. It might not, it, you know, right now it's Jeff and I, right. Um, but that's not sustainable long-term. Sure. So, um, but for us to launch new formulas and new um, products, it's imperative that we just have that connection to the people who helped us get here. How many SKUs do you have right now? Right now in grocery, we have nine, uh, and that's a blend between our Asian line, our Italian line, and then our gluten-free in both of those. Um, when we're at farmer's market, we exponentially can have, with our dyes, you can switch them with any formula. So yeah, we, there's we, often times in our... 18 is our record. Yeah, there's a record. Market, which was a little bit um, over the top. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we've cut back. And, uh, How many days a week are you actually in a kitchen making noodles? Three. And do you have more capacity? Do you feel like... 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's really about growing the team, you know, is really the capacity um, constraint right now. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, being able to predict how much we're going to be able to produce or, or need to produce, mm-hmm. you know, on a regular basis, you know, will, you know, guides what we'll be able to do with our team in terms of growing our team. So, so once we, you know, have a, a really predictable, uh, uh, you know, like order schedule and then market schedule, you know, I think that, that we'll, you, we can bring more people on board and then get in more days into the space where we produce. Do you? How do you deal with health care? We have spouses who support us. I understand. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's been hard. We have a couple part-time people and, you know, we're too small. We can't. Yep. We can't. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It, it is a hard thing and it, everybody's kind of handling it different. But when... Just my husband and I being in business, he started and then I joined him three years down the road. And then we didn't really think about health care. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, darn. healthcare! Right. 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 And that was a luxury 12 years ago to kind of think about that sort of, but not really. I mean, right. nowadays it's a full time income to, mm-hmm. to right. pay for that. Right. And the other thing, too, is, you know, like depending on where you are in your life, too. So, like, you know, I, I think I think about this a lot, which is, you know, if I would have started my own business right out of college or, you know, like, you know. Or maybe if I didn't go to college but started a business right out of high school or something, I, I think I would have, you know, I definitely would have uh, started it before a family. You know, I think I've, I've got two kids. Yep. Um, um, I've got a, a son who's actually turning 10 uh, next Wednesday. And then um, and then I've got a, a daughter, and, and she's turning 13. So, you know, they're in a, they're at a stage of life, too, where, I mean, they have, you know, like I got, you have to think of them. Yep. You know, like first and, and work life balance yeah, and, and all that. Yeah. I mean, because when you're running a business like this, of course, you know, the, you know, you're doing everything. Do they make noodles with you sometimes? No, no, they actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, no, they, they've got a full, uh, they've got a, a, a full schedule with school and all that goes with that. activities. Yeah. 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 But you know, and, and so my wife has had the cover, you know, she, she's kind of a catch all, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak for, you know, all the stuff like, Oh, you know, our son's schedule changed. I got to go get him. You know, because you know when I'm in production, you know, it's not like you can just leave and go and leave your pile back. of noodles. Right. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, so it's 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 really uh, it puts some constraints around your life to have a business like this, you know, and mm-hmm. and um, and so you know, when a lot of people, I think that that the food business in general, the food business scene, is mm-hmm. kind of to some degree, there's a kind of like this glamorous like. Kind of aura around, yeah, it, right. Like, you know? oh, you're makers. You're doing something so cool, and you have your own business. And isn't that so great? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's you know, there's this romantic, especially you know, with foods that have like kind of a romantic aura as well. You know, it's noodles, kind of like, you know, yeah, pasta, and you're oh, you're gonna pasta, you know. And then and there's all this great, you know, great romantic kind of, um, you know, like ideas that can be you know, put towards. You know, put towards somebody like me, and but I think, but I think that you know, there's it's just a lot of hard work. I mean, it's very similar to to running a bakery. I think. Well, yeah. It's, it's you know, like you know, a lot of hours. There's a lot of time that goes into it, and the fact that it's fresh too. You know, it's not a shelf stable product. So you see a lot of things that you know, a lot of businesses that start up are shelf stable products, and so you can manage inventory a lot better. Yeah. You know, like oh, I made this three months ago because it's and I can still sell it because it's got a year long shelf life. Um, versus like a, a pasta product, which is you know got you know, you know several weeks, and and we have to manage that too. Is there something that 
you learned along the way that you were like, oh, if somebody would have told me that, that would have been awesome. <laughs> Where can we start? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the fresh versus, you know, like the... So here's the thing is that there's a lot of opportunities out there in the marketplace. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily make it a good place to go as a small business. I understand. Right. So, so you know, it's yep. like, you know, like, oh, nobody's doing that. And you could kill it in the market if you did that. But my business partner used to always say, nobody's doing that. There's a reason why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not yeah. here to recreate the wheel. Let's do mm-hmm. something easier, mm-hmm. simpler, better, faster. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's there's. You know, so I think number one is, you know, think about what you, you know, if you're, if you're, th- for those of you out there who are thinking of starting a food business, you know, like, I think, th- you know, like the primary thing is, you know, really think about what, you, what you truly do love. Number one, you know, what you know, of course, is always good. I mean, you can learn, you can learn it, but your, uh, your rise to food stardom is going to be a lot bumpier if you don't really know. Yeah. You know, like I've had a lot of people sitting in this chair that it cost them a hundred thousand dollars to get to the know Mm -hmm. where they knew, you know, and they had met with tons of people and they'd spent a lot of money and it was about at a hundred thousand dollars that they felt like they had the knowledge to move forward. Mm -hmm. Had they have maybe been in that industry or had the experience that you have, maybe it would be a less costly endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too, you know, like when I talk, when I think about our business too, is like, is a third thing that I might advise is like find find a partner that has a very complementary skill set. I mean, that's one thing that I think that with Kelly and I too, like we go to the farmers market or we talk to people like at Midwest Pantry, mm-hmm. you know, as which is a local. For those who don't know what Midwest Pantry is, it's a kind of a local uh, food support network and program um, that is you know all about local food here in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and, and 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 greater. Minnesota. And you know, we talk to people and they're like, oh, I wish I had, you know, somebody with Kelly's skill set, you know, on my team. Or, I, you know, they say, oh, I wish I had a food scientist on my team. Right. And you guys have both. And it's really <laughs> great. I mean, it's it, it, it is truly uh, a powerful combination. We always refer to it as our wonder twin powers. Mm-hmm. I'm the ice and he's the bucket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and do you know, like, when you're working on a project, do you just inherently know, because you've been in partnership now for a couple of years, like, oh, yeah, that's going to be Kelly's thing? Or do you ever struggle over who's going to do something? No, actually, I think, you know, I have so much respect for what Jeff knows and understands in the food world. I mean, you know, we obviously we joke that we're like siblings, you know, I'm like his older sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I can, you know, we do have that bossy. Yeah. I was going to say know. you boss him around. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah, like Kelly today walking in here, she said, you have a hole in your shoe. And I'm like, what? I have a scuff mark on the front. And she's like, it looks like you're like your toes sticking out of your shoe. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm walking over you know, to KSTP <laughs> to record this. And looking like a homeless know. man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, thanks a lot. So anyway, that's a relationship. That's funny. Um, When you guys think about noodles, is it so all the stores have fresh noodles? Are you more attractive to like a co-op versus a Cub Foods? Have you really figured out how to branch out into the national scene yet? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we're still um, figuring out. Um, And that was part of our work in the Minnesota Cup. I mean, we are a premium product. So we do have a price point that's maybe a dollar dollar and a half higher than uh, our, you know, closest competitor. 
Um, but we are bringing a different value to yeah. the table. So we haven't found it as a big obstacle, so to speak, in the stores that we're in. So we are in all of the local co-ops here. We're in about five states right now. We're in the local co-ops. Um, we are just now moving into Whole Foods mm-hmm. locally. Um, and then um, we're in discussions with some other specialty retailers in town. So it's, you know, we may be a ways away from a cub um, and, um, you know, our goal is that we would be in a store like that, um, but because it is a value store, it's you know it's hard to know where we would like. Yeah, I can understand that. It'll be interesting to see too. A lot of my local food folks with the Amazon purchase of Whole Foods, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of noise on the Amazon side of things that they're going to centralize and right. give up a lot of that flexibility that happens at local store level. And I know a lot of people are wondering, like, huh, what does that mean for my product? What will that mean for my ability to do demos? Do you guys do demos in stores? And is that an important part of the sale? We do do demos. Um, It has been an important part. Um, It's a challenging part. Um, You know, boiling noodles, like we intentionally don't boil noodles at the farmer's market. We display um, fresh uh, as is. And that hasn't been an issue. Um, So we do demo. It is helpful for people to taste before they buy, um, it hasn't been imperative to right. our success. So, I mean, we're wondering the same thing about Whole Foods. It will yep. be really interesting to see um, what will happen over the next couple of months. Um, when you do recipe development with the noodles, are there, you talk about like the Asian side and the Italian side, like ramen is a big thing, but mm-hmm. do people make ramen at home? And therefore, is that a good noodle to sell for that? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I think, you know, just with the everybody's reference to the brick, as I like to call it, you know, the, the dried ramen, yep. you know. Um, but we Manchurian, get a lot of questions. is that yeah. the name of the... Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you know, the, the, the whole ramen scene, everybody, I think, um, that most people, I would say, you know, uh, they ask a question about whether or not we actually include, like, a seasoning packet in ours. We're just selling the fresh, like, the fresh noodle itself. Huh. And so... Yeah, we get a lot of questions about what do I do with this. So we we do hand out recipes at the market, and we have them on our website. And um, you know, we try to point people to that on our packaging. But it is a, it is a challenge, you know, with a lot of our products that are a little bit more unusual, like our soba noodle, for example. Um, a lot of people have seen soba, but not a lot of people have had soba. Yeah, I have no idea what to do with that. I'm assuming I could make like a peanut noodle salad. Yeah, exactly. or something. Yeah, you could. Yeah, that'd be great. We recommend that. Perhaps so we should make one right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah your your uh, food instincts are treating you know, doing you well. So that's and, a challenge because you're not only trying to teach them about these artisanal grains and ancient grains, but now you have to teach them how to cook it. It it almost needs a front facing person that has some knowledge and can help people mm-hmm. understand what to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and but I but I do think that you know the the one of the good things about our product and one of the things we actually that we strive to do with our product is make a product that could stand on its own. Like if you took these home and boiled them and just, you know, salted them and maybe put a little oil on them, you'd, you could eat them and say, wow, these taste great on their own. Yeah. You know, I don't really need a whole lot with them. And and so if we can do that with all of our products, people, I think people can figure out, even without a recipe, okay, well, I could pair this with something intuitive to them. Butter and cheese, yeah. really. Yeah. And as far as the ramen, we do have quite a few customers that have been trying different things because uh-huh. the ramen broth is intimidating. Um, we do have, we do have recipes for quick ramen broths, but to do, you know, a, a 
authentic, you know, really rich, beautiful, fatty experience with broth. It's a, it's a little intimidating. Yeah, you need mm-hmm. but we chicken do, necks or right? oxtails. <laughs> yeah, 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 but we do have customers who um, are bringing us recipes that they've come up with, like uh, ramen cacio e pepe, which is a total Roman dish. It's yeah. what we usually do with our peachy or um, our dirt or, or spaghetti. Um, and they're doing ramen with it. And it's really good. Yeah, ramen or and pesto. Our, you know? One of our high schoolers uh, puts pesto with her ramen. So yeah. um, it's really a way for us to kind of re- in, re- have a look at how we traditionally use noodles and come up with some different ways. To... I feel a cookbook in your future. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so, yeah. yeah It'd be great. Um, are there um, other local producers that you admire? Ooh. Ooh, yeah, that's a great question. It, that has been one of the funnest, funnest, one of the most fun things about having this business is meeting and getting to know all the local food producers in town. I mean, we are over at Gia Kitchen, which is a commercial kitchen in St. Paul. Um, and so we are surrounded by some really amazing um, producers. So Melina from Superior Switchell. Yeah, um, and then uh, Scott Dillon, Twisted Shrub. Um you know, who's he's he's just a lot of fun too, just to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of the other like the other producers in our space, um, you know, is uh, um, Steve and uh, Krista um, Espinwall, who um, have Velvet Bees Honey Butter. Yeah, which is great. It's a terrific product. Um, it's like uh, a really outstanding, unique product. I love um, that product so mm-hmm. much, and I tried to include them in a feature I've been working on, and. I don't know if I didn't have the right email. I couldn't get anyone to get back to me, and I was like, "Darn it! I love that <laughs> stuff." Yeah, it's it's really really a, a, so it's great on ice cream. It's great on toast. It's great on it's much. a it's a refrigerated product, but boy, mm. you melt that yeah. and put it on popcorn, and it's life changing. Or just buy the spoon out of the refrigerator, yeah, right? Yeah, so <laughs> like um, you would eat peanut butter. Yeah, in fact, yeah, it's it's really really great. In fact, if Steve and Kristen want to give me a jar for. Talking about it as long as two we have jars. two jars, two jars only jars if you good. share. Okay, three jars. Okay, <laughs> three, three jars. Three jars. Um, All right. Yeah, and then uh, other local producers too that I've um you know so we actually collaborate with uh, Steve. Well, I shouldn't say we we we've worked with him to get um well I guess that's collaboration right? with somebody to get something. Um, we've, we, he he hel- has helped us with um toasting and milling some of the grains that go and produce our flour for like our farro. Yep. And then also we... Um, and that's been, Steve from Steve, Bakersfield. Bakersfield. Steve yep. Horton. Bakersfield Flour. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he um, is also toasted and milled the Kernza that we've used for some of the Kernza pasta that we sell at the market, which is only at the market. It's not... Well, and Kernza is a newish uh, ancient grain that was... I was exposed to it by the Birchwood had a Kernza eclair mm-hmm. that had a blueberry... Filling and it was that a blueberry frosting and a frosting. corn filling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Kernza is a really interesting grain. So you guys have noodles with that too? We do. Yeah. At the farmer's market. we Excellent. Yeah, it's, it's exclusive to the market. And and it's been an interesting grain to work with um, because it's so unusual in terms of its size and also from a composition standpoint too. It's really high in protein and fiber and low in starch. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit more challenging to work with. And the other thing, too, is that it's it's still being developed. So at the University of Minnesota, um, there's a there's a consortium called the Greenlands Blue Waters uh, Institute or Consortium. And, and they are um, helping you know, with the 
University of Minnesota um, activity on the development of the strain. So there's some breeding going on right now. That's real cool. Yeah. That's how the Honeycrisp apple started, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And it's I should add, what's really exciting, even more exciting about it, is it's, it's a perennial wheatgrass. Yes. And so, you know, all of the wheat that's grown on our fields uh, in the world is annual. Yep. Uh, and so this is a perennial uh, crop, which kind of changes the game for a lot of farmers and like ecologically for our landscape, um, yeah, right, yeah. yeah, because when you leave the you know those the root systems in the ground, they continue to basically pull carbon out of the air, you know, and basically sequester it in root systems, you know, as it grows um, carbon mass basically in the ground. And the the other great component of this is that when those roots grow deeper, they um they can act as like a filtration for like nitrates and you know fertilizer and things that normally leach into the groundwater get picked up by these long root systems and then it doesn't leach into the groundwater and you don't have groundwater pollution. So and erosion of soil and yeah, all the other things. Yeah, it's a fabulous yeah. you know, fabulous thing. I think, you know, perennial agriculture is going to become a very important piece of, you know, preserving our ability to grow food into the future. Love it. Well, you guys have been great to talk to. I am Thanks, really Stephanie. excited about your noodles. Uh, the whole wheat noodles I like and I the wild rice noodles too. Um, you have a great recipe collaboration with the Salad Girl mm-hmm. on uh, video pain. that um, perhaps I'll post one of these days on one of our pages. Um, it is Dumpling and Strand. You can find them at the co-ops. You can find them at the Linden Hills Farmer's Market. Miss, in, Mill City Farmer's Market. Mill City Mar- Farmer's mm-hmm. Market. Um, and then in your local co-ops, right in the refrigerated section. Correct. Right. Yep. All right. And you can also find recipes online at dumplingandstrand.com. Correct. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Thanks Stephanie.